0: Hi guys. I love how by the time Andrea gets to the point of saying the kids can leave, the kids have all left already. I don't know if that's, uh, if that's because they're so looking forward to Kids Connection or because they're so dreading being here during the sermon, but I'm going to assume it's the first thing. Uh, welcome. It's good to have you guys all with us today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for coming in out of the spectacular weather. I think we're the only place in America that is having spectacular weather right now, but if you're watching us from, I don't know, New Hampshire or someplace like that, then God bless you. Um, If you still have power and you're watching us, that's good, but uh, we're just putting on sunblock here, so I hope that's okay. (laughs) So, have you ever been to beautiful Gorman, California? You know Gorman, right? Uh, If you don't know Gorman, let me tell you where Gorman is. If if you picture California and if uh, San Diego is like the feet of California and maybe San Francisco is kind of the head, then Gorman would be the armpit of California. That's my best description. If you're heading up the 5 Freeway from L.A. and you're going north, you go through what's called the Grapevine. And as you head up to the top of the Tohono Pass, you get to this little town. I don't know if it's a town. It's on the map. It's got a couple gas stations and a store or something like that. um, And it's called Gorman. Now, uh, Gorman is not a vacation destination. Gorman is not the place that people go to on their honeymoon. But uh, one time I found myself in Gorman. We were taking a youth group uh, up to the Sacramento River Delta for a week of houseboat camp. So a week on the houseboats, about 100 teenagers, ski boats, all that kind of stuff. And instead of spending the money on buses, we decided we were just going to carpool and have all the leaders drive. And we just stuffed kids in cars. You know those... Volkswagen stuff. So we used to do with just 15, 18 kids in a car and we just loaded everybody up and we're heading up the pass. Now, I, I was maybe 20 years old at this time and uh, my car was a piece of junk, but it was filled with kids and we're heading up the pass and my car breaks down right at the exit to Gorman. And so literally we pushed it off the exit into this gas station that is right there. It was a Sunday afternoon, and the uh, it had a mechanic and all that, but they were closed for the weekend. And so I talked to the gas station attendant, and I said, hey, you know, we, we can't be late. we got to get these kids up to Sacramento. My car's broken. We need to get it worked on. Can I just park it here over the weekend? And then on, uh, when we get back, which will be Friday, when we come back, We'll come back through here and, and we'll make arrangements and all that kind of stuff. This was before cell phones and all those things where you could just make these arrangements. And so um, we're there in Gorm. The guy says, absolutely no problem. Just park it right over here. I'll let him know. It'll be no problem. By the time we got back, my car had been impounded, <laughs> towed away to the storage yard, which was also owned by the guy who owned the gas station. Isn't that great? So, but what we did was we just took all the kids out of the car, shoved them in other cars, took all the gear out of my car, shoved it in other cars, and we kept going because there was some place we had been looking forward to all year that we were on our way to, and we were not going to just stop in Gorman because we broke down, right? And I was thinking this week, what what if we had just, if I had just gone, well, you guys go on without me, I guess my car doesn't work. And I had just lived the rest of my life in Gorman. <laughs> and you can just picture me with uh, with, <laughs> with the overalls with one one thing down and a corncob pipe sitting on it. That, that's how I picture if I had lived my life in Gorman, and uh, you're like, "Wow, what the heck is he talking about? Why is he telling us this story because i was uh, I was thinking about this whole idea of the places that we get stuck in life. If you're new with us today or you're just checking us out for the first time, we, we're we in a series of messages called Forward Progress where we're talking about the fact that sometimes we get stuck in life and we get stuck in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it's just circumstances like the story I told you. It, it just something happens and you get stuck. Sometimes It's a result of my own sin that gets me stuck. I'm making bad decisions, and those decisions have consequences, and sometimes I get stuck in life because of my own choices. Sometimes I get stuck in life because I'm the victim of somebody else's choices, and I end up suffering because of what someone else does or doesn't do and how I'm left hanging in that way. So the bottom line is it's a universal experience. We sometimes get stuck. We sometimes trip and fall. We all skin our knee from time to time. So the question is not whether you're going to get stuck. The question is, what do you do when you get stuck? And the answer to that question will, will probably have as much to do with what happens with the rest of your life as probably anything else that you can think of Now, when I think about being stuck and I think about the need to sometimes have God open a way when you're stuck, I'm always reminded of the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible, um, the book of Revelation is very easy to find. It's right at the end. You probably have some maps or something right at the end. Just go left and you'll find the book of Revelation. It's the last book in your New Testament. And I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And uh, for those of you who are always going, oh, I hope he preaches on Revelation, don't get too excited. This is just going to be a moment. But, but I want to um, share with you Jesus' message to the church at Philadelphia, which is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And I just want you to hear these two verses. Uh, Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. So we get this picture of Jesus in heaven, the resurrected, glorified Christ in heaven, and he's writing to this church, and he goes, listen, because you have kept my word, because you have known my name, there are doors I can open for you, and there are doors I can shut. And when I open a door, God says, nobody can shut it. And when I shut a door, God says, nobody can open it. And I love what it says here in verse 8. He says, I have put before you an open door. I don't know what your translation might say. Mine says open door, O-P-E-N, open. But really, when you read it in the Greek, it doesn't say open. It says opened, O-P-E-N-E-D. You say, well, what's the difference between an open door and an opened door? The emphasis is on the fact that he opened it, right? It didn't just happen to be open, It's not just a door that you came along and went, oh, let me go through there. No, God had a plan for your life. God had a plan for this church in Philadelphia. God had a plan, and he said, I'm going to open some doors so that you can walk through and experience the life that I died and rose to give you. God opens doors for us. And that needs to be at the foundation of what we're going to talk about today today. Because God is a God who opens doors and issues invitations for us to walk through those doors. Now, when he opens a door, it's not a roadmap. It's it's not a detailed set of plans. It's a door that he opens and an invitation to walk through to the future that he has in store for us. Now, when I think about walking with God into the future that he has in store, the name that always comes to my mind is Abraham. Now, if you've read the Old Testament or at least the book of Genesis, you have this sense of the story of Abraham. You're probably familiar with it um, his, his calling from God is to leave the land that he's in and go, he says, to the place that I will show you. Come with me, essentially. God says, walk with me, and as we go, I will let you know when we've reached our destination. But your job is just to walk with me, Abraham. And we see that um, in uh, the book of Hebrews. Now, you may be familiar with his story, and you may also be familiar with the fact that, that the Bible calls Abraham or Abram. His name is Abram, and God changes it later to Abraham, and so we see it as both in the book of Genesis. But God, when um, the Bible talks about Abraham in the past tense, it, it often refers to him as God's dear friend. Abraham, the friend of God. Um, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Abraham, who is God's dear friend, in in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, it says Abraham, who was a friend of God. And I just thought, wow, what a title to be given. A friend of God, someone whose life is characterized by your friendship, your relationship with God. He walked with God, he talked with God, he experienced God, he lived his life with God. His walk of faith, in fact, has become an example to us. If you go to the book of Hebrews, and we won't have time to look it up right now, but this, you can read it on your own this week in your quiet times. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us what um, commentators have referred to as the hall of faith. And it gives us these names of these amazing Old Testament characters who walked with God and experienced God in amazing ways. And, and Abraham is kind of the center of that whole chapter. And it talks about how Abraham walked by faith. So if you look up the calling of Abraham, if you were to Google the calling of Abraham, it would undoubtedly send you to Genesis chapter 12. So you're in the book of Revelation on this side of your Bible. Go to the other side of your Bible first book, Genesis chapter 12, and let's look at the calling of Abraham so we can get a picture of how come his life turned out the way it did. And and we find this classic passage, the calling of Abraham, it's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Let me just read it to you real quickly. It says this, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, my guess is that many of you have read this passage before. You're familiar with this, this calling of Abraham, right? If you ask, it's Genesis chapter 12. That's where Abraham's story begins. So that's the calling of Abraham or Abram, whatever we're calling him at this point. But it's not quite as simple as that. So here's a great Bible study um, rule. Context is everything. If you want to understand what the Scripture is teaching, you have to understand the context in which the verses are set. And one great way to get a sense of the context is you go back into the verses that lead up to it and see what they're talking about. And you can even go forward in the verses that follow, see what they're talking about. You get a better picture of the context. So for more context, if we want to really understand, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 11 and look at the end of that chapter. And, and this might be one of those places you skip in your Bible reading. You know why? Because the list of names. It's a genealogy, and we're all like yawning and going, this doesn't matter, so we skip this. But this is important. Pick it up in verse 26. Chapter 11, Genesis, verse 26. Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Let me just ask Any 70-year-olds that would like to have a child right now? Anyone? No? Okay, well, that's what happened with him. He was 70 when he had his children, uh, Abram the firstborn. Verse 27, Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iskar. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, why am I going through this with you? Because for us to understand the calling of Abram, we need to understand the timeline, the chronology of this. We read the calling of Abram in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and we think that it's written chronologically, but it's not. It's just referring in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, to the calling that took place back in chapter 11, when he's giving us. It says again, verse 31, Terah took Abram his son and Lot. Uh, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan also becomes known as the promised land, right? So it was Terah, Abram's father, who led his family out of this pagan place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And you think, well, wait a second, this is supposed to be uh, Abram's calling. How do we understand this? Well, to do that, we need more context, and we're going to find that in Acts chapter 7. So take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 7. We're doing all these passage lookups right at the beginning, and after that, you can go to sleep, and I'll just preach. Acts chapter 7, okay? Uh, and, uh, and what's happening in Acts chapter 7 is this guy named Stephen, who is one of the early church leaders, uh, is, is basically being put on trial for blasphemy, And so he uses the opportunity to share the whole gospel story, beginning all the way back with Abram. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 7 of Acts, verse 2. Speaking of Stephen, it says, And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. See, we we think the story starts in chapter 12 when he's already in Haran and he gets this calling. But it says the calling came to him when they were still in Ur of the Chaldeans before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So what's the chronology of this? Abraham or Abram at the time is living in his father's household which is the way they lived in those days in clans and they all sort of stayed together his father is the head of the household his father's name is Terah and and this calling apparently comes to Abram at this time and we're not told we can only guess that apparently Uh, Abram shares this calling with his father, Terah. Terah believes it's from God and leads his family out, and they actually begin to head toward Canaan. They set out for Canaan. So it's important. In fact, uh, Genesis 15 also alludes to Abram being called while he was in Ur. So the details of Abram's calling is recorded in Genesis 12, but it actually happened when they were still living in Ur and you think well maybe this is why Terah agreed to lead his family out we we don't know we're not told but when they left Ur they were headed to Canaan but Terah never made it it says he died in Haran now it's time to do some math you ready here's the thing we know that Terah was 70 years old when Abram was born. We were told that, right? So he's 70 years old when Abram was born. That's chapter 11, verse 26. We know that Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran to follow God. That's chapter 12, verse 4. And we know that Terah was 205 when he died. That's chapter 11, verse 32. So that means that Abram left his father in Haran And that Terah lived in Haran for 60 years after Abram and his family had left. And the scripture says he settled in Haran. He was given a calling. He was to go to Canaan. There was a promised land for him, but on the way there, they stopped and set up camp. And where they set up camp, apparently he liked it so much that he settled in Haran. Now, he didn't miss the promised land by that much. He lived and died like 500 miles from Canaan. And I thought, well, how far is 500 miles? I don't have a sense, so I looked it up. It's San Diego to San Francisco. Now, that's a ways, especially if you're on foot. But would have taken them two months with their whole entourage and all their animals and everything to cover that 500 miles and be where they were. But instead, he spent 60 more years and died in Haran. We don't know why he settled there. We don't know what kept him there. But we know that by staying there, he missed the land flowing with milk and honey. That's the name that's given to the land of Canaan, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. And instead, he stayed in a land called Haran. And I looked up the meaning. It says, parched and desolate. <clears throat> he, he traded... An invitation, an open door, an invitation from God to go to a land flowing with milk and honey and instead lived in a land that was parched and desolate and settled there. How often have you settled for something so much less than you knew was what God wanted for you? And he stayed in a parched and desolate land. And we also know this. That if Abraham had been willing to stay stuck in Haran with his father, he never would have experienced the life that God had for him and the promise that God called him to. He would have stayed in Gorman. <laughs> so so Terah settled for Haran and missed what lay beyond the place where he was stuck. And by the way, we're also introduced to Lot in this story, and, and something very similar happened to Lot, and we don't have the time to look up all of this, but let me just tell you, he set out with Abraham as well, but he ended up settling, <clears throat> where? Sodom. He ended up settling in Sodom. You go, oh, Sodom, it's an evil place with evil people. Yeah, that's how it's known. In fact, God eventually destroyed Sodom, right? And you can read all about this in the middle chapters of uh, Genesis, the, the conclusion of it's in chapter 19. But, but what happens is he, he doesn't go, oh, I want to go there because I want to live that lifestyle. He saw a business opportunity. And it says that he pitched his tents towards Sodom. And then later it says that he was moved into Sodom. And then later it says that he sat in the city gate with the elders of Sodom. He settled there. So, so you know, we, we have these, these three men, right? Three men walk through an open door. Sounds like a joke, right? It's not. So, as <laughs> a priest a rabbi, no, it wasn't. But these three men walk through a door that God opens for them, but only one of them goes the distance with God. And we read about him in Hebrews chapter 11 and his life of faith. Terah got stuck in Haran what held him there we're not told was it his grief from losing his other son who by the way was named Haran and they named the city after him was it just that he got tired and said you know I'm an old man I don't want to walk anymore was it that he got comfortable and and he just you know made some friends and put some roots down and said this is where I'm going to stay we're not told We are told that he settled in Haran, and he never got to see the promised land. Lot didn't think he was stuck. He didn't think he got stuck. He thought he got motivated. He saw the well-watered valley. He saw the business opportunities there in Sodom, and he said, man, what an open door. Interesting, right? There are some doors that God opens, and there are some doors that are opened otherwise. He saw an open door. He saw an opportunity. He got motivated. But he was motivated by all the wrong stuff. Not that any of us can relate to that. That that, that sometimes people get motivated by the wrong things, fame and fortune and comfort and all that kind of stuff that we think is going to fulfill us, and it leaves us feeling empty. He wanted to make a lot of money, and he was willing to compromise his values for that. He's willing to compromise his integrity. It's a wonderful, amazing example. You should read Lot's story in Genesis. He was even willing to risk the well-being of his family, and some of his family didn't make it out of Sodom. And he too missed the promised land. Instead, his story ends tragically in an incestuous cave with his two daughters. And it's the last we hear of him. Now, you may astutely point out that, hey, by the way, out of those three men, Abraham never owned the promised land either, and you're right about that. But if you see that as a tragedy in Abraham's life, you have entirely missed the point. Abraham's life was never about ending up in the promised land. In fact, God didn't say Abraham was going to get the promised land. He said that his offspring was going to get the promised land and he was going to be a blessing to many nations abraham the point is he walked with god the point is he was a friend of god the point is that he experienced god he walked through the doors that god opened and he answered god's call to walk with him by faith and the bible says that answering that call was reckoned to him as righteousness was abraham perfect far from it. He messed up again and again and again. In fact, if you want to read a story about how to screw up your life, Abraham's the guy. He messed up again and again and again. By the way, if you don't know this, he gave his wife away to another man not once but twice. Now, that's not the kind of thing that enhances a marriage. That's not the thing that builds marital trust. He gave his wife away to protect himself. He was afraid they would take her, so he said, Here, take her. She's my sister. Now, I've known some guys who were willing to say that. Take take my wife, please, right? But, But he was just protecting himself. And then, after all these years when his wife was barren and could not have a child, and we talked about the significance of that last week, When she could not have a child, in her grief and her brokenheartedness and her depression and the lowest point of her self-esteem, she says, and I can imagine through tears to her husband, you know, I'm never going to have a child. You might as well just take my servant girl and have children with her. And Abraham goes, okay, this man is a moron. This man is not somebody that we look to and go, he's the example. But isn't it interesting? We don't get a picture of a superhero in Abraham. We get a picture of a guy like you and me. A guy who trips and falls and skins his knee and gets distracted and gets lost and keeps getting up and building altars and worshiping God. And he is known as the friend of, of God. So he wasn't perfect, and he never owned the promised land. But guys, learn this lesson. When it comes to walking with God, the destination is not the point. The journey is the point. The relationship is the point. And that's why Abraham is given as an example. The the, the land was never for him anyway. God's plan for our lives is always bigger than us. And I can't help myself but to just give a little side note here and just remind us to think about this. We tend to be short-sighted. We tend to make our decisions based on what we want in a given moment, right? But have you ever thought about the fact that every decision you make today has an impact on the people around you and even the generations that come after you. Abraham's calling made it clear. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And when you read the genealogy of Jesus, who do you find right in the first chapter? Abraham. Abraham who begat Isaac, who begat Jacob, who begat Judah, who after time begat Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the answer to the promise that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham's life is an example of forward progress in walking with God. So life is full of open doors, right? There's a lot of open doors in life. But how do we know which doors to walk through? Lot walked through open doors and it was a disaster. Abraham walked through open doors and experienced the blessings of God. We could look at countless other stories in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a few in the next couple of weeks. Of people who walk through the wrong doors. So how do we recognize the doors that God is opening for us? It begins with making it less about the door and the opportunity that we think may lie beyond it and more about our relationship with God. It's not about getting through the door to the destination. It's about staying with God and walking with God and being intimate with God and experiencing God in the process. We need to make it all about the one with whom we are walking and not about the path upon which he's called us to walk. When we take our eyes off him, that's when we go astray. I don't know if you remember this, you know, back in the olden days when I was in high school, uh, you, you took driver's education as a class in high school, right? And, and we had uh, driver's ed teachers, and, and um, they, they taught us a bunch of things. And, and one of the things I remember to this day is that if you want to keep from, from drifting, you have to look up you don't look at the end of the hood. You look out in front of you. And when you look out in front of you, that keeps you going on the straight line, right? And so we need to remember that there are times when we're walking with God when we've got to look up. We've got to not just get distracted by the stuff that's happening right now, but we've got to keep our eyes on Him, And it's our relationship with him that will keep us from going astray. He always leads us in the right direction. And will you trip like Abraham did? Yes. But what will you do when you trip? Will you get up? Lift your eyes to the one who has called you? Take his hand and begin to follow him? Or will you settle where you are and just say, oh well, I guess I'm stuck. So, i got to wrap this up, so let me ask you a question. How's your journey going? Let's not let this be something that is just Abraham's story. Let's not even let it be something that we're saying, boy, I need to tell so-and-so to listen to this sermon because, boy, do they need to hear it. Let me ask you to think about your own life and where you are. How's your journey going? Like Tara, have you gotten stuck in your comfort zone? And, and really lost the sense that God's calling you and that there's a, there's a future and a plan that God has for you? Have you lost sight of that calling and just started to settle where you are? Or maybe like Lot, have you gotten dazzled by the shiny stuff out there and got distracted from keeping your eyes on him because your eyes went to other things? And now have you found yourself sort of caught up in the web that makes it really hard to move from there? And are you starting to figure out that all that glorious stuff that you thought was going to be so fulfilling is like a mouthful of sand? Or maybe when you think about your journey with God, maybe you're just beginning to hear the call of God in your life. Maybe you're just now getting to a place where you're like, I, I, I think maybe that there's something to this God thing. I think maybe there's something to the claims of Jesus. I think maybe there's a better purpose for my life. And, and I'm here because I'm sensing that maybe, maybe God's trying to draw me to him. You've been, you've been living in Ur of the Chaldeans, pagan land. You've been living in Haran, the dry and desolate place but you're recognizing God is actually reaching out for me. If that's where you are, remember that's where Abram was when God first called him. And and Abram was not a friend of God because he was such a good guy. Abram was not a friend of God because he was so religious. Abram was a friend of God because God's grace is amazing. Because God set his eyes on him and said, I choose you. And, And because he responded to that call. Here's the thing I love about Abram. Big, long story in the book of Genesis. It started with the first step. He left the place he was to go be with God in the place that God was calling him. And did he know where that place was? No. Go to the place that I will show you Wow, God, how are you going to show me? Well, you're going to go with me. And when I say we're here, that's when we're here. All right? The kids in the backseat of the car and the family vacation, they're not the ones with the Thomas Guide. Thomas Guide, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Ask your grandparents. They'll explain it to you. Um, but <laughs> that's so funny. Anyways, the, it's the kids in the backseat that are always going, am I there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We there yet? Why? Because they have no sense of where they're going. They're just going where you take them. We need to be going where God takes us. And that's the calling. You start where you are. You take a step. You see the door that God is opening. And you take a step through it. One of my favorite stories is C.S. Lewis's first entry into the Chronicles of Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've never read it, there's a movie. Go see the movie if you're not a reader. But, um, but it's, it's Edmund and Peter and Lucy, these little kids. And they're, they're in this big house, and they're playing in an empty room, and they open this wardrobe door. And when they walk into the wardrobe, they have to push their way through the coats and all of this, the musty smell, And pretty soon they take a step into Narnia and the adventure of their lifetimes. It always begins with the first step. So if you're stuck, it's time to walk through the door. If you've been thinking about all this Jesus stuff and you're wondering if 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 maybe there's a different option than the life you've chosen and maybe there could be purpose to your life and not so much emptiness I just want to encourage you the step is to say yes to Jesus. The step is to take his hand. The step is to trust him more than you trust yourself. You'll say, "Well, you know, I like to be in charge of my own life." To which I say, "How's that working for you?" We need Jesus. And if you, don't, if you don't know him and you'd like to know more about him, you can ask me. You can probably ask the person you came with or, or almost anybody in the room. We will be glad to talk with you more about how to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. But I'll tell you what, it's not by works. It's not by religion. It's by grace. By the grace of God, you can experience that life. So if you're stuck, it's time to walk through the door. If you're distracted... This is the day that God is calling you to give him your full attention again. And you're going to not believe the change that takes place in your life when you begin to give him your full attention. And if you're just hearing this for the first time, I can promise you, he has a plan for your life that is so much better for than anything you might settle for otherwise. God is calling. He's opening doors. Isn't it about time to start making some forward progress? Let's bow our heads together. Lord, as we think about the, the picture you've given us in Genesis, Abram, who became a friend of God, Terah, who got stuck in a desolate place, Lot, who ended up destroying everything that mattered to him because he got distracted. God, we want to be those who walk with you. We don't want to miss you. We want to recognize the doors that you've opened because we recognize you. We want to recognize your voice. We, we want you to call us into the future that you have planned for us. Or maybe even though you've been calling us to, to help us to stand up and move, to take the step through the wardrobe doors, and into the beauty that you have planned for us. God, help us to make forward progress. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.